Testing, the modern testing podcast. Join your hosts, Alan. God! Now I'm mad! <laughs> and Brent. I am mindless, agile robot. I must iterate. God! <laughs> As we talk about software engineering, software quality, leadership, and whatever else comes to mind. Now, on with the show. Hey, we're back! <laughs> Howdy, everyone. Hey. Welcome to another episode of AV Testing. This is what I thought when I drove to work this morning, 95, but it is not. It is episode 94. Nope. 95 is our infamous end of the year extravaganza. Right. Where we try and come up with predictions. Uh, and you know, predicting things is hard, especially about the future. We'll also review some of the things we liked and loved about 2018. I don't know if you saw my tweet. Did I just tweet this? Oh, I put you it in our channel it, as well. You slacked it. I tweeted it and slacked it in uh, one of the three dot slack dot com. You can Do just you slack it. I'm gonna say I slacked it. I was searching for. I was actually looking for something. It was based on a conversation we had, where I was trying to find my strength finder information. Did you? And I did find it uh, because it's weird. Probably one of the only accounts I have left. I'll probably keep discovering more where it used my Microsoft email address as the login. So luckily I remember my password because there was oh. no way I was getting the password if they emailed it to me. Did you Oh, so you you didn't do the the blog search I suggested? You no, did I blog on and, it. And and I did the blog search. I did not find a blog on it. Oh. I don't think I blogged it. So while you remember that, but what I did find did interestingly Interestingly, it was what I found is some predictions I made about trends in software testing in 2014. And I made it as a result of someone saying, these are the trends. I thought, these aren't trends. These are established things. Like one of the trends was mobile testing. I thought, what the heck? <laughs> Oddly, uh, you can go find my tweets because I've forgotten what the things are. But, but you posted it on... I did post it on Twitter. 20 no 2014 was when I think the date was yes it was it was mid 2014 so three and a half years ago and it ended up being a lot of things that we're seeing a lot of I was actually right for once but I don't think it was a stuff tough stretch it was stuff no it was stuff was, we had been talking about and, and even before we at that point I don't think we had named modern testing no, uh, no we, but we had talked about it indirectly because we had talked about our struggles with traditional testing. We just hadn't come up with the opposite term yet. But anyway, we had it was, come up with names. It was interesting to look at. It was funny. I got a comment, a fresh comment based on the tweet from someone who didn't realize it was three and a half years old. It said, Oh, some these are good. Some other trends I see are blah and blah. And I said, I think you missed the point. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, it's so uh, it, time out. Yeah. Time out. Timing. Uh you were gonna get me a cup of coffee. No, it's cool. It's cool. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. All I right. was. Let's, let's. I epically <laughs> failed the coffee. <laughs> anyway, go on. <laughs> I don't know. Five, six years ago. Um, not Whitaker. So this is a story about Whitaker. Not his current. Wait, Matt Whitaker, the ace, the ace attorney general. No, James Whitaker. Oh, James Whitaker. Not his latest book on stories, but the, I think the 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 tours one. Yes. What was the name of that book? Uh, I think it was called Exploratory Testing. Oh, right. <laughs> Mainly to piss off some folks. Su yeah. Successfully that, done, I might say. It, and yeah, that that was funny. I wrote the foreword for that book, by the way. Did you? 
the best part of the book. The one thing, arguably. So, so it was one of the last uh, few times James had a had a regularly scheduled uh, lunch with me. And, and it may be possible that I pissed him off on on my comments on this one, but I'm like, James, this book is exactly the same as How to Break Software, except with this tour's spin on it. And one of the things that I re- – yeah, he he didn't appreciate that comment, but he did accept it. And he's like, dude, you know what? Sometimes you just repackage the same thing. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I think about that a lot on, on MT, and I think it's re- related to uh, – your stuff. I think MT is going to be contextually relevant for much longer than either you and I have patience for. Yeah. 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 Right. I think it'll still be relevant potentially five years from now. Oh, I think it's But if you and I are still talking about it five years from now, we either came up with something really fresh to that excites us or this podcast is going to be super boring. <laughs> going to be? <laughs> Continue to be. No, I, I'm. This is a relative discussion. <laughs> a couple stories. Uh, we do have one topic today. One, uh, but a couple stories which are relevant. This is not the normal preamble you should skip. So get your fingers off of the fast forward plus thirty second or plus ten minute button. A few more stories about walking the talk. I'm continuing to shrink my team. I'm finding new places for them to to work. Uh, and one of the things, one of the techniques I should probably mention I haven't gotten into is uh, I do regular one-on-ones with all of the dev leads I work with. And that's been super helpful in kind of keeping the culture going and enabling the people who no longer work for me to continue to be successful. So I met with another dev lead this week and we talked about moving one of my leads to work for him and what that meant and and... Part of the deal was that, you know, I, of course, continue my one-on-ones with the lead and I would begin one-on-ones, regular one-on-ones with this dev lead as part of this transition and for indefinitely. And I think I've got to a tipping point where I, I haven't counted, but I believe I have more one-on-ones. And these aren't just chat. These are these are about careers, about solving problems, it's about mentoring and coaching. I have more one-on-ones with people who do not work for me than people who do work for me. Is that primarily because you've made them stop working for you? Yes. Okay. Yes, but we still meet because it's still they still find it. That's one of the primary questions I get, which is as I move people away, it's like, can we still have, can we still meet? I said, yes, of course, I think it's necessary. But I also find that one of the techniques I use that we haven't talked about is meeting regularly with those dev leads. Culture change until it's, Sticks and, and is able to run on its own volition needs a lot of um, care. I think it's yes, and I think the value of communication and being and keeping lines of communication open and establishing trust are severely underrated. There is not not in, in my particular business. Uh, trust is everything for for what I do. But you're talking about trust of the data. I'm talking about trust of the people. Not just the trust of the data, but the trust of my team, right? There is still a high degree of 
um, data science and magic are synonyms, right? And there's, people, an, there's, a, there's a quote about this. Yes. <laughs> um, and when people, people do not have the time to get deep in the math, they don't have the patience to do it anyway, you know, a large number of people don't want to. But I am asking them to change their decision-making process based off of a human, me, my team's analysis of what the data is saying. But I'm talking, I am talking about a different kind of trust because that, that is definitely needed there, and I understand what you're saying. Yeah. I'm talking about this foundation of trust you have to have that enables us to have conflict and sometimes severe and and severe and and active conflict meaning we'll argue but it's not we don't mad at each other but we can have because we have trust we know we're flushing out the idea and i believe that only between, the the difference between debate and argument is trust very well put very well put and that's where good decisions and good ideas come from the the way we've talked about where ideas come from, well, other ideas get together. The way you get them to get together in a more meaningful way is to have debate. Yes, debate. Uh, it doesn't sit right with me, but I think I'll I think I'm going I think a semantic road. You are. I completely you are. agree. And I and I'll go back to conflict. If there's a fear of, I just talked to someone this week. One of the devils has a massive fear of conflict. And one of the things I, my job is to do is to draw that conflict out of him. But I have to establish that trust first. So we do it slowly. I don't just say, what the hell were you doing? I have to draw those things out. So I met, speaking of meeting with lead, dev leads, Actually, Grant wants to say something. Yes. What is worse, a yes man or a no man? Uh, that's actually a very good question. Uh, I think... I have no preference because I think they're both uh, they're both equally bad is my is my best answer. I don't know which I I can't decide if one's worse or not. Do you have a preference? Yes, man, is absolutely worse because their last rider wins when when you don't have the ability. To but the no, but at least somebody wins. But the no man, nobody wins. No, the the no man is predictable and trust. Uh, you can trust. What they're going to say, and they don't always say no. Um, the the long term being a no man, the risk is, of course, that you'll you'll establish a reputation of not being a team player. But the yes man, when they say yes, it's just a matter of time before they'll say yes, but then they their actions is actually a no. I get it. One of the attributes of leadership, and actually one of the people I talked to who doesn't work for me, asked me, we were talking about the quality culture transition model, uh, which someone called the constantly improving quality model, which is pronounced sickum, which I kind of like. But he said, I thought you didn't want it to be a model, though. What about his transition guide? Yes. Okay. Uh, he said, What would that look like for leadership? And the problem is, is there are leadership models and they suck. So I'm a little afraid to do it. But uh, in thinking through it, I promise him I'd think through it. And I think I will do something that I'll share even on a much smaller basis. By the way, if, uh, I am not going to dump, at least in the time being, the 
quality culture transition guide to the masses, but uh, it has been shared in our Slack channel. So you can join that or ask me and I'll let you, I'll give you a view of a draft of it, but I'm not just going to dump it out on the blog or the website uh, at this point. But I was thinking about this, uh, this growth path, this transition guide for becoming a new leader to an experienced leader. And one of the attributes is, this is actually all coming back, is decision-making. And a yes man can't make a decision. Well, they've made, they, they can't make an educate, they can't make a proper decision because everything's yes. So anyway, I was yeah, talking. They're deferring to a different decision-maker. Yes. Uh, and they want to please. They don't want to cause conflict. They want to please. But that's not the way to be a leader. It's, it doesn't. It it does not help anyone. So I was meeting with. There's a story I'm getting to here eventually. Uh, I went to San Francisco Tuesday for the day. Met with a bunch of uh, important people down there. And one thing, and a lot of it just normal, like talking with leads on how things are going, getting an idea of how their their quality is going, quality culture, etc. Uh, not that exciting. Uh, one interesting thing happened internally lately. We did a little bit of a reorg, nothing to do with my org directly, but we moved where our, some of our internal tools, um, substrate engineering happens to, re- to work through the ads team. And tell me if this sounds familiar. I want to get to that You moved point. into Microsoft GitHub? <laughs> I'm guessing not. Your body language says no. No, we use what's it called? Azure DevOps. Uh, uh, you're right. Azure DevOps. Is it is it Azure DevOps great, for great, GitHub? Great name. No, it's not a great name. It's the stupidest freaking name in the world. This from the team who brought you XT. Oh God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, we moved around. So there's there's a central tools team. But best way of putting it, we made a small reorg. So a central tools team now reports through. Uh, my ads organization. And while I like it, it's in a much better place than the lead. The lead was, is I knew was good. I worry because, and you can relate to this. How many times at Microsoft did we have some sort of tool used that was, uh, or set of tools that were, were to be used by the whole company, but were owned or owned and managed in a specific org? Okay, now Brent's making a face. How many of those were successful? Brent's counting on his fingers. <laughs> yeah, so I was I was understandably worried. Uh, yeah. But the, so, uh, go ahead, and then yeah, because I I, I no, there, this, there this, is a happy ending here. I don't want I don't want the the <laughs> Unity listeners to go, oh my. God, what comes next? So get to your thing, and I'll 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 evolve my thought here. No, so there there's um, systems ebb and flow, okay. And then this is a particular what you're talking about is a particular system. I have been aware of particularly at this company, and I think it's more than just this company. Um, almost within the first few years, and that is, um. The pendulum on how engineering tools should be built constantly swings. It goes, oh, duplication of effort. We should centralize. Mm. Well, and then that over pivots 
because then once it's centralized and it's valuable, these guys stop having a relationship with the actual consumers and they start doing make work exercises to just their continual existence. They eventually get uh, called out because their dependency teams aren't able to solve the problems that they need to from this team. And then that begins the swing back towards decentralization. And then it's just a matter of time before duplication of effort, and it just goes back and forth yeah. and back and forth. Microsoft especially likes to swing pendulums in its decision-making. There is a way to do this in a centralized manner. No, and I agree with that. And I'm actually I'm 100% confident it will work because the thought models of the lead in charge of this org and I are super highly aligned. That's one reason I think it will work. But also, let me ask you a question, Brent. What are the Microsoft values? Yeah, I never knew either in my 22 years there. No, I mean, they've changed so many times. And and unfortunately, here I am. um, I will absolutely... I can't name a single Microsoft value. I will absolutely state... Uh, with high confidence that if I had it loaded up, I would agree with it. Because every time a new set comes out, I look at it and go, uh, I first evaluate it against the manager buzzwordy stuff. Yep. I don't know why I still do that Has because be- it passes that test 100% of the time. Um, but then I go, okay, if I look at the the intent behind this, do I agree? And more often than not, I do. But w- while that part is good, the way I look at it is you have a, a vision or a mission for what you're what you're doing and what you're going to be doing, and the values guide you in how you make decisions along the way towards your mission and vision. So if they're not really, if they're not accessible, if they're not part of how you make decisions inherently, and maybe the big thing, maybe the challenge is there is a lot of times when I worked at Microsoft, I felt it, Xbox One was a difference. Windows 95 was an outlier. Uh, I always felt like I was too many degrees separated from my customer. Sure. I would so argue, anyway, I would uh, argue back, that back was on track. mostly because uh, a lot of that was, number one, you were in a test role. Number two, uh, you were in a traditional test role most of that time. And number two uh, was... Um, was that two number twos? On-prem product. No, I was yes, right. yes, and so no, I get it, I get it. So anyway, um, so this, I am going to loop this back in and get to our other our, our mailbag question. We have four values at Unity. Value one, then there's value two. Yes, user right. users first. Okay, that's okay. okay whatever. The, the customer is the only one able to evaluate the quality of the product. That's users first. So yep, I can totally support that. Yep. Meanwhile. Actually, the people that argue with that one don't listen to the podcast, so we're cool. Uh, best ideas win. This is where conflict and trust and, and actually doesn't matter if you're the hippo, as Ronnie Kawabe puts it, uh, the highest paid person in the organization. Right. The best ideas win. Yeah, the problem with that one is often who gets to judge. But if you have... As a value, I completely agree. I, I'm going to refer directly to it because I... I eased around it, but uh, Pat Lencioni's book, The Five Dysfunctions of a Team, probably his most popular business novel. I've read all of them. I'm, I'm a huge fanboy of his. 
Uh, it talks about if you have that trust, you can have get over the fear of conflict. You can then have people, if they feel like their voice is heard, even if we didn't, they didn't go with their decision, they will have buy-in and accountability for achieving whatever or, or acting on whatever decision was made. Mm-hmm. So I, I believe all that works together, and that's where best ideas win come from. Uh, the judge is maybe consensus. It may not be. But at least you feel like your voice was heard during that discussion and you weren't like stifled down. It's like, shut up, newbie. Doesn't happen. Yeah, I'll stop testing your principles because I do agree with them. There's no such thing as a best idea either. Okay, now I'll stop. <laughs> Are you sure? No, but I'll try. Anything else? What's value number three, Alan? And for the sake of time, I'll skip to the fourth one, the one that I want to be relevant. I probably should have just mentioned this one and skipped the other one so I could not have your damn value testing, but in it together. When I think about this, and again, these values can be words on paper that you can agree with, but as a culture, the company does work very well together. People try to, people try to and want to help each other regardless of what division they're in. And while it has improved, admittedly, the org chart uh, cartoon that shows all the divisions pointing guns at each other is still partially to largely true, or at least it was two years ago when I left. So, t- And that's what I saw on these uh, tools or these systems that were developed in one org but shared is when push came to shove, 100 times out of 100, the work was done, the the preference was for the local team versus helping the other teams. And sometimes people would get worse. I watched at Microsoft, teams would get completely bought in and, and committed and integrated into using a tool developed by another team who wanted to be used by everyone. And then they decided they were too busy and, and just stopped supporting it and said, no, you're on your own freaking committed we built all our adapters on our end and now we're screwed thank you very much and said not our problem yeah there's that happened that happened you get the culture that your incentive model inspires yes right um absolutely it's thinking about what is it jack welch right a lot of the foundation of this company was based off of a Jack Welchian uh, philosophy, which I do think probably applies to sales. Um, but unfortunately, one of our big leaders in the history of this company was just a masterful salesperson. And I don't think the culture that they put onto the company, I don't think enough thought was was put into as to whether or not that is applicable outside of sales. Um, oftentimes, I don't have the, the the data here, but I hear that it is often the case in sales that the, the top 10% of your sales force is providing greater than 50% of the, the value, the business, the sales. And so uh, there's this idea of, well, then we should reward that. I don't know that management science has found a good solution for this one yet. I do know 
for example, they have discovered that if you want to grow company performance, you randomly promote people. You randomly switch between the best employee and the worst employee because a lot of times the worst employee isn't suited for the job that they have. They should be in more of a strategic role, right? No. Yeah, I, 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 I've seen it over and over again. Okay, whatever. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm not sure why your microphone is not pointing at your neck, but I'm just going to ignore that. And um, we'll go on. I have a question from a coworker. Mailbag. Actually, if I could draw better, and I re- I've been working on it, I really should do better. Monty, we got a we got Monty. a we got a cartoon. We need a comic strip to go with this recording that just goes through the hell I go through every week, uh, every other week, or sometimes every third week. So a coworker asked a question, and one thing I want to mention is uh, an odd thing and. Un, maybe slightly uncomfortable for me thing at Unity is despite Unity being one one hundredth of the size of Microsoft, uh, I have more podcast listeners at Unity than I did at Microsoft. And it and sometimes it's surprising. Like as someone, a percentage or as a person? As a number. As a number. And when maybe I started- maybe maybe there were more Microsoft listeners or there are than I think, but they're are a chunk of Unity listeners, and hey, hey, shouting out to you. This is for you. Well, I hope if I say things that piss you off, you tell me. Uh, that's all I'll say. But anyway, Klaus, who was Klaus. Awesome. I love the name Klaus. I always have to say it in a German accent. Yeah, he's Danish. I am too. Ish. You're something ish. All right. Anyway. Anyway, in general, uh, Klaus asked if we could talk more about how. The context-driven testing principles compare, contrast, interact, whatever, with the modern testing principles. Sure. So I will quickly read through – actually, Brent, um, should I go through all seven? Actually, if you can – Read them? Limit your – no, I'll read them. All right. And I want you to comment, but I don't want you to comment like – the diatribe story upon story interwoven into an inception-like view of the world. I okay. just, I just want a few comments on each one after I read it. So, uh, <laughs> one commonality between the modern testing principles and the context-driven testing principles is that we both have seven. Yes. <laughs> Number one, the value of any practice depends on its context. Is that a principle or a statement of fact? Between the, I guess it's a principle because you could you could actually, I would phrase it differently. But yeah, remember how I said I was going to let you comment? I'm sorry. Yeah, so I think it's not a principle. I don't think this is what we should do for the CDT stuff. But for me, a principle is sort of a philosophical, unproven. Uh, vision direction setting. This is the direction we're heading. To me, the principles kind of reads more like a a proof, mathematical proof. Yep. Let like, me re- is there anyone who would say the value of a practice doesn't depend on this context? That would imply the value of, of there are some practices where the value of the practice is context-free. I can't think of an example. 
I actually can't either. Uh, when I talk about the modern testing principles in and I actually I gave a webinar on Thanksgiving to uh, an audience in Ukraine mm-hmm. because I had nothing else going on. Uh, by the way, happy late Thanksgiving there to you, Brent. Hey, thanks. Uh, but and I've done this I think in all of the presentations I've done on modern testing where I go back and talk about why I decided to start with uh, modern testing principles. And it goes back to, I happen to be reading a book by Ray Dalio called Principles. And you think, yeah, I, I had, of course, I had known about principles before. So I used that as the starting point. So I use Ray Dalio's definition of principles, which are principles are what allow you to live a life consistent with those values. Principles connect your values to your actions. And so, but, when I look at the that anyway, I don't want to like critique like these aren't principles all day, but that one's no, I don't want to either because the the one thing the one thing that I've observed with the another commonality between CDT and MT is they both target testers and uh, testers just love tearing things apart. So let's not do that here because what I see with MT is when when that happened the message gets gets lost because everyone's busily piecing through semantics right so the value of any practice depends on its context i don't think mt says anything pro or against this agree disagree agree agree, right. agree. so these are more of beliefs than principles was my point uh, there are good practices in context. This is number two. There are good practices in context, but there are no best practices. Okay. Again, I don't, MT doesn't say anything for or against this. Correct. I P- do agree with it. Yeah. Yeah, because you said something about it earlier, which was actually interesting. And it depends on your definition of best. And if you use the dictionary definition, yeah, I agree with it. There's always something better. <laughs> Uh, people working, number three, people working together are the most important part of any project's context. That's very similar to uh, Agile principles. Uh, I mean, what? It's, it's people over. Oh my. It's off edge today. All right. So <laughs> one day we will, I will come through on my promise to Periscope. Uh, one of our sessions, you, again, you must experience the hell that is an A-B testing recording. Oh, my God. Uh, people working together the are the most important meds, part dude. of any Jeez. project's context. <laughs> um, dude, you need some meds. People working together. Um, so people working together. I, I don't disagree. I don't disagree, and we could... We could potentially argue the community principle is related to this one. They don't contradict. In terms of the most important part, that would be something. So the spirit of it, I agree with. The the, the literal interpretation, I'm not certain I agree with yet, and I don't want to spend the time thinking about it now. Okay. (laughs) Number four, projects unfold over time in ways that are often not predictable. True. I think uh, that's a bit of a tautology. <laughs> but yeah. And I guess it really lies more with an agile principle. Like we believe there's something about being adaptable. 
Uh, the, what the, is it? Principle two, continuous deployment and, and uh, continuous improvement. So MT does sort of address this, but in terms of more of an actionable thing, like the continuous deployment theory of constraints. That is an MT principle because we agree with number yeah. four. So this was interesting. Number five. The product is a solution. If the problem isn't solved, the product doesn't work. And yep. this actually aligns exactly with the customer principle. With with the principle number five of the of the MT principles, which is the one, well, it's they're like saying if if someone who is a believer or follow these principles did not like number five, it would be like them saying the product if they believe this, that the product isn't solved, the product doesn't work, well, only the customer is able to tell if the, their, their solution is, if their, if their problem is solved. I am willing to bet, I have not done the research, but I'm willing to bet that there is a, as much controversy on this one as there is on our principle. Interesting. Right? And to me, it's just like, yes, we've talked about the Tom Poppendike quote about Customers don't want software. They want their problems solved. I believe that one million percent if that could, was possible. I could imagine it would be. But in a certain context, it is a solution. So does that mean the problem I, – I could see that they – This doesn't make any sense, but I want to say it. In a certain context, is a context really a context? Not enough coffee, dude. Okay. Uh, <laughs> there's not enough in the world. Number six, good software testing is a challenging intellectual process. Good software development is a challenging intellectual process. Good cooking is a challenging intellectual process, etc. Yes. Good. Good. And I will have place verb here. Good knowledge work. Yeah. And often we forget that testing is just knowledge work. I shouldn't say just, but testing is knowledge work. Uh, yes, yes, it's a challenging intellectual process. Uh, I guess it's a, again a belief. No, it's not a belief. It's it's as you just called out the the one thing I think where we might dis- disagree. We will absolutely agree that good knowledge work is a challenging intellectual yeah. process. I don't think we fully agree with with which with what I interpret as an implied over ascension. Of the testing role. Because specifically calling this out is interesting. Why did they say testing and not knowledge work or development or whatever? Right? They're trying I, to elevate I, it. When I see this, when I see this principle applied even from you know from whoever, whether they're followers of the principles or not, it's more them trying to justify what I see more often is a justification of their role. Like, but my job's important. It's actually very, very hard. I wasn't there for the development, but but so I do see that. But I don't know that the the yeah. developers of these principles intended that. So there are some things I want to get beyond here. So number yeah. seven, only through judgment and skill exercised cooperatively throughout the entire project are we able to do the right things at the right times to effectively test our products, which is kind of a summation of a lot of these. But how is this? I'm trying to figure out how it fits in with modern testing, any, if it fits in with MT principles any more or less than the others. It occurs to me that there's another similarity between 
MT and CDT here, in that there is only one principle that contains the word test. Very interesting. That's good. <laughs> and actually, one – remember, these are much, much older than, than the modern right. testing principles. I believe – I think the first time I saw these published was when Lessons Learned came out. They may have been revised since then, but that was many, many years ago. But the one thing I like is uh, when many people have read – and despite those of you – Again, you listeners aren't the art. Besides those who have argued with principles number five and seven, a lot of people, many people, read the principles or see a presentation on the principles and go, oh, yeah, that's just common sense. And I think maybe at the time, and maybe for some people today even, these read like common sense because you can nod, nod your head and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Again, I think this was – so looking at it now uh, – and then thinking it through the light of, you know, if we change the word testing in number six to the word knowledge work, uh, the spirit of this is probably nothing I would disagree with, yeah. right? Um, but might I, even argue it's a bit of a tautology. But there's not much here that I could think, again, you mentioned number five, but may cause some disagreement, but I don't know where disagreement... Again, so much has changed in the 10 or more years since these first came out. That's actually the point I was going to next yeah. make, is is essentially when these were developed, though, and, and there's something... This is something we have explicitly called out in the modern testing principles. We fully acknowledge. We don't know when... When we observe it, we'll both stand up and say, yes, this has happened. But we know there's an expiration date on the usefulness of the modern testing principles. Mm -hmm. We know. We don't know what it is, but we know there's an expiration date. This came out in, the in I don't know, the golden age of traditional testing. Oh, yeah, I'll for sure. It. Right, and one of the problems that happened back in those days, uh, people were hiring armies of unskilled testers. Unskilled uh, testers. Oh, you know how to turn on a computer? We needed a tester. Yeah, I was I was there for that. It, that manual testing uh, happened all of the time. <laughs> it was heavily unskilled. Uh, it was. <laughs> It was a thoughtless yeah, and process. You still see a fair chunk of that in the gaming industry, hiring people at minimum wage to bang through a game over and over and over. And quite honestly, I don't have a problem with that. I if, don't either. If if that's if that is the most efficient and cost effective way of going from yeah. A to B, hey, knock yourself out, business. Yeah. The thing I'm actually – but when I look at this uh, now, instead of looking at it from a historical point of view, from a historical point of view, I think this, is, this, this helped add value. It, it's, it basically said testing is knowledge work, not a thoughtless exercise. Okay. I think it helped solve that problem. I think it did too. One thing maybe missing is like the wrap up. Like we have accelerate the achievement shippable quality and the principles support that mission. 
Yes. Uh, I wonder, and I, I'm not going to scroll through the whole page here, but there's something, there's some statement that wraps all this up. But yeah, uh, I'll agree with what you said. I think there's nothing wrong with these. Some are a bit tautological, but given the time these came out, yeah, totally valid. Um, I'm not going to dive into, if you go to contextdriventesting.com, if I'm smart and I'm not, I would add a link to that in our show notes. Uh, there's illustrations of the principles in action, which we will, I don't want to dive into because we will disagree with those in many ways, but they do support the principles and they do support the time in which these were written and came out. Yeah, I, I would say looking at it now, um, there's nothing in here I really yeah. find and, a problem with except for potentially the highlighting or uh, what I was saying about the testers have to be smart. That one. No, it, it's this is these are in alignment with modern testing except perhaps how you interpret number 6. Right? I completely agree good software testing is a challenging intellectual exercise. If you use that to justify your position or over-elevate, that was, is where I'm going to disagree mm-hmm. with using those words. I, I completely agree with what's written there. My, my biggest gripe when these came out was I read them and said, yeah, but all good testing is context-driven. So, uh, my so biggest... the, I think at the time, though, there was a lot, a lot of bad testing. So the authors felt the need to, to find a way to step out of that. And it's kind of the it's ish is the way we came up with the modern testing principles. We viewed traditional testing practices, whether they're context driven or not, as a bad way to make software. Uh, you could actually even argue MT is is following uh, the principles of CDT. We could say that MT is the context driven solution for shipping uh, software at scale to millions of users. Uh, One of the things I was going to say is that one thing that is common uh, between these two um, sets of principles is, and I don't think MT actually explicitly calls it out, and I would actually argue that's pretty much all they're doing in CDT, in that taking a systems view is critical. Now, we've laid that out as a fundamental basis for how we develop this. I actually kind of look at this now and go, that's actually what they're saying, right? You have to take a systems view, and system view has multiple different moving parts. We agree, totally agree. One of the things I would actually say is MT is built around the context has changed. We are now dealing with a new context and the traditional methods um, are kind of not applicable. What got you here isn't going to get you there. Right. But, but context is, has driven that fact. Yeah. One could say. I think we're out of time. So uh, that was fun. Thanks, Klaus. And hopefully that answered your question. Anything else to add, B-Man? No. All right, we'll see you that next was a good discussion. time that was for our end of the year extravaganza. Please send us your requests for things you want us to make predictions about or talk about or reflect on. Otherwise, we'll fake it and do it ourselves. Yes. I think I'm winning an Emmy this year. Not sure. I think I am. Okay.
All right, that's my Congrats. Final. Okay, see you next time. Bye. Walking.